Hi, I'm Valerie Moisel. Over 20 years ago, I co-founded my company with a creative spark, an entrepreneurial spirit, and a fearless attitude. I've long dreamed of sharing a space where I can interview successful women and hear them talk from their hearts about how they found their way. What I'm learning is it's not such a linear path. We all have what I call the four S's, the initial spark, the snag which trips you up, the shift that helps you find your way to the final S, success. No, not always in that order, and yes, sometimes the steps repeat. Together, we will learn from each other and be inspired. These are women who rule. This is She Dynasty. Today we're chatting with Natasha Case, the founder and owner of the wildly successful Cool House. Cool House is this magical concept that creates and serves architecturally inspired gourmet ice cream sandwiches. The flavors that Cool House carries are ridiculously delicious and so unique, and Natasha has also been listed on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. I'm really looking forward to hearing how she accomplished all this. But first, I'd like to introduce LJ Johansson, today's co-host. LJ is a copywriter who works with me, and she's thrilled to participate because she has a personal story she'd like to share. Hi, LJ. Hi. How are you? Good. Excited to be here. Yes. I'm excited to have you. I was actually super excited when I heard you guys were interviewing Natasha because when I first moved to LA, I had this internship, and I was making no money, and I was working way too many hours, and I had no time to like experience LA, and it was this new place I was living. Where'd you move from? I moved from Salt Lake, Utah. So it was completely different. Nothing like I had ever experienced before. And the company I was working for was right down the street from Cool House. And from three to five, every day they had happy hour. And me and a friend that I worked with, we would walk down there and ice cream sandwiches were half off. And it was like this indulgent treat that we could afford and enjoy. And it was like my first intro into um, kind of the L.A. food scene, the L.A. Instagrammable moment. So it really has this place of like comfort and nostalgia for me to see how far I've come from going there to where I am now in my career. And it's kind of really fun to see that arc come full circle. I'm not even sure Natasha realizes how important it was to some people to have half off on ice cream, a happy hour. It was like so important to me. It was such an escape. The place I worked was kind of a crazy town. And like, who doesn't want an ice cream sandwich on a hot LA summer day? Agreed. LJ, what are you hoping to learn from Natasha today? I'm hoping to learn her creative process and how she manages her life at work with her life outside of work. I think that would be really interesting to hear. So she's going to be here in just a few minutes. I'm excited to learn from her. Me too. Hi, Natasha. Thank you for joining us. I have so many questions for you. I'm a little bit obsessed with your company and your vision, so I can't wait to hear what you have to say today. Thanks for having me, and I'm I'm so honored to hear that. So we came to visit your store, uh, I think it was about a week ago. We came in and decided to buy some ice cream sandwiches for our entire company. Smart thing to do. It was. It was a huge hit. I can't even express the happiness that kind of overcame my office when I walked in with the ice cream sandwiches. It was like we were Santa Claus. Or I love it. Welcome to my life, I guess. You know? Well, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I love mean, it. It was also a really interesting experience because it didn't feel like your normal, you know, kind of ice cream shop for 
first of all, it's beautifully painted on the outside. There's this giant sign that says women owned, and then you walk in and the whole experience just seems, you know, really interesting. And there's images of famous architects on the wall, really an inspiring space right in the heart of Culver City, which is, you know, super hip part of town right now. Thank you. So glad to hear it. And yes, we do definitely strive for something unique. So I've done my best to describe you and your company, but I would really like you to describe what it is you do and the vision for your company. Sure. Yeah. Cool house. We are super innovative. Uh, Yes, women owned and led and actually the largest women owned ice cream business at grocery, which is at once both awesome and also like, come on, let's get more women rising and, and doing this. LA born and raised. We are known for our super unique creations in both ice cream sandwich and pint form. For example, uh, the milkshake and fries flavor, the street cart churro dough of pints, but then also elevating classics like our dirty mint chip sandwich, which is fresh mint and a touch of brown sugar. So those are kind of our core. We are continuing to innovate. We do have a vegan line coming out in 2019. Very excited about that. I'm sure we'll talk about that more. And yeah, we started from trucks back in 2009, and we expanded that to three cities, LA, Dallas, and New York. And we have scoop shops now in LA, as you mentioned, our Culver City flagship, also Old Town Pasadena. And then in Dallas, we have a scoop shop. Um, And we're distributed in about 6,000 grocery stores in every state. And then also, I think, eight foreign countries. Oh my gosh, I have chills. (laughs) This sounds like a dream company, like a dream job, a dream company. I mean, again, you're dealing with ice cream. The one thing that I think makes everyone just happy, just because it's something that we you know, all have some nostalgia from our childhood with. So are you looking to change the way that people think about or eat ice cream overall? Yeah, I definitely say. I mean, I think part of the mission with Cool House is it's so much bigger than just the ice cream. You know, it's about the culture. It's about the story behind it. Um, My background being architecture and design, which is, you know, totally normal from architecture to ice cream. Right. Everyone does that. Totally normal. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Typical journey. It's about, I think, having the brand represent who the target consumer is, um, whether that be millennial, how, how diverse you know, the kind of overall Cool House team is and the creativity, the bohemian spirit and uh, definitely a lot of women in leadership positions. So there's always kind of something more to it, which is, I think, what makes it really, really interesting. Right. And so, again, just to reiterate your concept, it's ice cream meets architecture. Yes. And what I love about this is that you've brought two worlds together that really up until now had nothing to do with each other. Or maybe they did. You were just the one who made the connection. (laughs) True. And, I think that's true, actually. Right. Yeah. And then just created this brand that has kind of exploded. And you have kind of a word for this. You call it architecture. Yes, that's right. Am I saying that right? That's right. Well done. Very so, official. So architecture yeah. is the mixture of food and architecture. That's right. Yes. It's kind of about that intersection. And when I was studying architecture, it's not like I, you know, invented this design and food intersection at all. There's so much there. We eat with our eyes. So much is about presentation and the ritual and, and the experience of eating. Um, and I think for me, I started to feel like there's something bigger I could do with my architecture training. I think I always approach it that way. Like, I'm going to get this toolkit and let's see where else it can be applied. And at the same time, I also felt like design school and, and being in that world, it felt a little bit like a bubble and it felt intimidating for people. 
And I am such a huge advocate of like things should be cool by association because you can access them, not because you can't access them. And everyone hates that feeling of being shut out of something cool. So I kind of started to feel this itch, I feel like, in design school, like how do I make architecture more fun and accessible? And I really found food as that medium. And um, I think I started to just kind of play around with it more and more. But, you know, ultimately, I think it's about kind of bringing education and, and interest in design through the ice cream, but also also, what does it look like when an architect creates a brand? You know, we have the skills not just for buildings and spaces, but for telling stories through packaging and through all kinds of things. Right. And I love what you just said. What does it look like when an architect creates a brand? Because I bet a lot of architects don't go into the field of architecture thinking that that's, um, that could be a goal. Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, I wonder how things have changed more and more, especially since the recession and especially since the kind of role technology has played. But yeah, probably over Overall, you're thinking, I'm going to become a practicing architect. Correct. So let's go back before the company. I want to hear a bit about, um, you know, young Natasha. So <laughs> did you have this obsession, love for ice cream? Tell us about how ice cream played a role in your life as a child. Well, like you said, kind of who doesn't, you know? Um, it would be like not liking puppies or baby. No, it's okay if you don't like ice cream. We can still, you know, we can't be friends, but, you know, we could be acquaintances. I came from a, like, ice cream is was a daily ritual, an evening ritual. You eat dinner, and you're kind of like a zombie until you go get your ice cream. Right. Now, at the time, we're not eating good ice cream. What really. was your brand back then? I mean, whatever. It was a dryer's. It was a, right. you just know. whatever your mom bought at the market. Yeah. And, and I think it's not, you know, my mom's fault. The options had become just mass, mass brands, high overrun, which means throwing a lot of air in the ice cream. So it's not really that dense, delicious, creamy ice cream. It had just the quality. It had become all about price and not quality. And there wasn't really any innovation happening. So, but we still, you know, it's a ritual. We loved it. And you're a kid. It, it was delicious. I have to say that my first like real memory of, of actual delicious, you know, as we call super premium ice cream was my family used to go to Martha's Vineyard every summer. Mm-hmm. And there was a place there called Mad Martha's. Oh, and, I've heard of that. Yeah. And they would churn the ice cream there. And it was the richest butter fat, huge scoops. And I think that, you know, having that, that bite of that ice cream was like kind of transformative. But um, I have to say, you know, I didn't really come from like a major like food household. Right. Both my parents, you know, had careers and my mom was really into like health food more than, you know, desserts. So I created a job where I'm surrounded by a thousand gallons of ice cream at all time just in case. But I think things skip generations. I think uh, for me, like when you're you know, family isn't necessarily like baking and making all these things. You kind of take it upon yourself. So I got really, really into food um, in, in Berkeley, mm-hmm. I think was a big step for me. So and you were there for undergrad? For undergrad. Okay. And then I studied abroad in Rome. And that definitely, of course, influenced me in terms of um, eating and also just like simple ingredients that just can sing if you just choose them correctly. Right. And of course, I ate a lot of gelato. I bet. Um, 25 pounds worth of research, probably. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely kind of changed me and then um, became more of a kind of passionate hobby, I think, for a while. You know, it was not like ever really happening as a career as far as food, but it was a passionate hobby. It was something I cared about. I cooked a lot for friends. I just, I just really loved exploring that space. Right. And so you went to UCLA to become an architect. And I'm sure at the time when you entered into architecture school, was your journey, was your path more traditional? Did you think you were going to go work at a firm or open your own architectural firm? I think I always knew in my back pocket, I want this for something bigger. If you 
want to go outside the system, you have to master the system. You know, you have to get the skills. You have to know what you're questioning. So I definitely, you know, was was trying to acquire all the training and worked for different architects during like summer and winter holiday periods. So I was, you know, getting the real experience. But I think always knowing there's kind of something else for me at the end of the rainbow. Fantastic. And are you still a practicing architect in any sense of the form in the traditional way? Not in the traditional way, no. Um, but I will say, rarely does a day go by that I don't do some kind of design. And I feel in a way more connected to it because, um, you know, everything from the trucks uh, and elevations of the trucks for new wraps or for health inspections to, I mean, tons of product and packaging design. That's right. I understand that you have a love for packaging design as well. I do. I, I really enjoyed that. I think it's an awesome application, right. um, very holistic application of the skills. So I am in, involved in the design on such a deep level, and I think it does sort of make Cool House have a unique identity to have the CEO have that skill set. So you've applied this expertise um, towards a new vision, a new exactly. passion. Yes. Do you ever feel like, I mean, you went through probably years of school. Everyone knows that architecture school is one of the most difficult. Do you ever feel like any of that was a waste? No, because I use it, it, it as I said, in every day. And that's what's great about it. I'm using, you know, what I learned in my training, but there's so much more to it, you know, as well, as it's such a diverse application. And I have to say also, because a lot of our sandwiches are named after architects, or there's this architect connection, I feel like I know more uh, and have worked more closely with more firms. I have, you know, we've had some very huge name architects approach us about, you know, doing custom sandwiches or doing events with them. So in a way, I also feel more connected to that space, it probably would have taken me longer, much longer, if I had gone the traditional path to be, you know, kind of connected to those level architects, I think. I think the real innovation comes when people have an expertise and then apply them outside of their realm, because all of a sudden, you know, magic happens. That's where I think a lot of creativity is coming from these days. Definitely. And especially in that kind of entrepreneurship startup stage. You know, I do think you get to a point in your business where you need experts and specialists. But especially when you're starting out, the more you're questioning and that you're taking big risks and you're not saying, oh, this is the way, you know, this product or this field is done. That's ultimately going to serve you, I think, well, uh, if you have a good idea and the willingness to execute it. Great. Well, I understand that one of your sparks, one of your big ideas happened in class one day. Can you tell us that story? Sure, of course. So um, I mentioned I was searching for this way to make architecture more fun and accessible. And uh, I was in one of my studios and I had made this scale model and my professor criticized it saying it looked like a layer cake. And I thought, why is he saying that like it's a bad thing? You know, layer cakes are delicious. So kind of as a little bit of an F you, I mean, and I mentioned this is at Berkeley, so you're always like being a little bit revolutionary, you know, defiant of authority. Um, I baked the next iteration of the model as a cake. I stayed up all night doing it because it was just a blast. I thought, I'm never going to get tired of this. You know, uh, this is something that I could, food as the medium, I could always have more fun with this. And when I presented it to my colleagues the next day, I could just see there's so much more excitement and intrigue. And if you're going to ask someone, what do you remember from a design studio? You know, you're going to remember the model made of cake. And so that was the light bulb moment for me. I I thought, you know, this is how I can make 
make architecture more fun, open up the conversation, and there's so much here. And ever since then, that's been it for me. Um, through the rest of college, I, every project I did had some food component. It started to draw a crowd. So you became, you started to become famous for the way Super that you- Super famous, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but no, but Just it was in your, a thing. in your peer group. Yeah, and, and I think that's what you need early on. I, I tell a lot of entrepreneurs, like, you have to be willing to share your idea even if it's in early stages, because first of all, it's all about execution. People don't really steal ideas in that way. If you're not willing to execute, it's not worth anything. But secondly, you need to see that human response to it. You'll know if you have a good idea, the way people's eyes light up, like, oh, I've got something. And that, that was that moment for me. Love that story. <laughs> Love it. I've, I've since, I have to say, I saw the professor who said that because uh, I went up to Berkeley for this big alum event that actually Cool House sponsored. And it was, it was very full circle and gratifying to see him acknowledge. You I'm, know? Sure. I'm, yeah. sure they're, yeah. I'm sure they're super proud of you. <laughs> Thanks, That's, Renee. Right. I mean, those are the stories that they get to tie to you know, their organization that are interesting and unique and give them totally. PR and press. So I'm sure they're, and they're, they're thrilled. Totally. And by the way, mostly I think if you'd ask, especially in an academia professors about some of those interesting stories they're not going to be their straight-a students necessarily no at all you know it's people who aren't fitting in the system and they had doubts and then ultimately that's the reason why they do things differently so to those who are feeling maybe they are want to explore entrepreneurship and feel slightly out of place like that could be a really good thing for you don't worry about that doubting that could be a sign that like you're definitely on to something did you feel like you fit <laughs> in the system when you were there or you kind of knew something was off uh you know yes and no maybe my fashion was maybe off at that point <laughs> I have to say but yes and no I think I know this might sound kind of funny but like I kind of like to be an infiltrator like I think I like to go places where it seems like maybe something about me or my thoughts might not belong but ultimately like learn what's going on in that space and be friendly to it and then kind of reinvent or take it in another direction like I said I think you need to really know the rules you're breaking so I don't think it was until you know in school that I could have the weird idea but like do a really cool project around it too that really like worked and made sense and then people will take the weird ideas more seriously perfect so your first job out of architecture school was? Disney Imagineering. So that must have played a role in some of your creative process as well, just because that's probably one of the most creative places on earth, I think. For sure. A magical place on earth, I think, is right. how they go. Yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Actually, I like to tell people, I think for a lot of tech startup entrepreneurs, the way that they kind of cut their teeth at like a Google, I think Disney is a great one for that, for people more in brand and story and consumer, because Disney, they're the masters of storytelling. It's They create characters that stay with us our whole lives. And so I think to get that training there and, and see also an application of architecture that was more than just the building. You know, it's about bringing the characters to life in the spaces. And there's so many layers. I think it was like hugely informative. And also it's just a really was a supportive environment. And I my friends and peers and, and you know, even bosses there were super supportive. What, and was, like, your, what was your job there? Um, I was an uh, architect in hotel and master planning. Yeah. But I, you know, Cool House kind of started to bubble up on the side. And yeah, they were, they would like, colleagues would like have thoughts about it, ideas, or some um, helped make the ice cream really early on. So just like was so fortunate to have that in, in that stage in the business for sure. Okay. So in 2008, you then met Freya, who yes. became your business partner is now your your life partner your yes. wife yes so partner tell, always yes <laughs> so tell us about how you met and how you know how did you guys decide that moment when you were like we're starting a company right now right here right this is happening 
Right. Well, so Freya, um, I was introduced to through a friend I had studied in Italy with uh, who went to Cornell with Freya. And uh, this friend was like, you guys are going to be best friends. You love food. You love architecture. No romantic auspices. And so um, this friend, Erica, invited me to her birthday and uh, said, you know, you got to come. Freya will be there. And so um, I go to this party. And we're 25 years old. Actually walking into the party, I split my pants. Uh, who even does that? It's like insane. It was kind of a sliding door moment. I stood in the street like, should I just go home? Is this a sign? And then I thought, no, someone at the party, it's it's in a house. They'll have something to, for me to change into, which they did. And um, anyway, I waited for Freya to show up. We kind of had a brief connection, um, again, more as friends. And then... And what um, did she do at the time? She was in real estate development, but she was actually moonlighting in a restaurant as a waitress because she was interested in just learning the food space and wanting to kind of absorb everything she could from the industry in any way possible. And so she got there very late, but, you know, we connected. And then another mutual friend uh, that she then ran into a few days later, um, she asked about me. And, and this friend was like, oh, Natasha, she's an architect, Imagineer, triathlete. We, I, we, Frey and I had actually both done the triathlon, but I only did the running part on the Disney like relay team, but that's okay. Um, and she's like, and she's a lesbian. And, and actually, I, I wasn't really identifying purely at that time that way, but it was lucky that this friend said that because then Freya, who was kind of interested in also, you know, exploring that space, she thought, oh, this is, you know, this could be, as she called it, her practice girlfriend. Oh, okay. So on Monday when I emailed her, she thought I was, you know, making a making a move but anyway it, it did actually uh, evolve into that and um, I told her about the ice cream sandwiches when we were kind of messaging and she was really into that and I think she she thought it's such a wacky creative you know out of the box idea and ironically elitist because my whole point was to make architecture not elitist but she's like this is so elitist right right but I guess it, it is she's right but anyway, it was, you know, really just everything happening at once. You know, we started dating. I brought an ice cream sandwich to the first date. It melted. So it was just, there was never kind of a moment of where it was or wasn't both things in, in, in a way, to be to be honest. And I kind of think that's a piece of that being that age. Um, because in your 20s, it's actually can be great to start a business because you're not always thinking things all the way through. And sometimes you need that. So we just started to, you know, date and then make the sandwiches for friends and family. We explored the ice cream space and we saw there's tons that can be done here in terms of innovation, making it artisan, making it cool. And then we thought, you know, um, how do we get it out there? Because we, you know, we're 25, the recession has hit, no one's going to give us a loan for a scoop shop. We don't really understand grocery. And we saw um, Kogi actually, you know, and, and the kind of viral following they were generating. And we thought we can be the first, you know, hipster ice cream truck um, on the West Coast. So you went on a date and then you just decided <laughs> to, or I mean, you probably dated for a while, but then no. you just, just, no. It was all at once. Yeah. All at once. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we continued to date, but yeah, there was no like, oh, we're going to date a few times and then maybe start a business. It was so like you just, always It all happened thing. at once. It all happened at once, which is nuts. I love that. <laughs> yeah. When it's right, it's right. It's true. Yeah. I mean, many could have said, and rightfully so, whoa, this is a lot to like of eggs to throw in a basket. And yeah, like it is a lot, but yeah, it worked out. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> 
it's great. I love the story. So I just want to make sure I don't forget this point because I have in my mind um, this idea about how the architecture and ice cream meets, obviously, just because there's a structure that happens around mm. the ice cream. Love it. Is that right? Is that sure. Am I interpreting that correctly? I think that is right. I think it has to do with, you know, again, the, the form and function in food, you know, um, especially with an ice cream sandwich. Part of what makes it what it is is the architecture of it. If you throw it in a blender, it's not the same thing. I mean, it's delicious too, actually. It's like our milkshakes. But it's not the same thing. It's not the same experience. Um, you need different things to eat it. And I think I was particularly drawn to the ice cream sandwiches in the beginning because the ice cream is such a great canvas for experimentation and playing around with ideas. But then you add the cookie element too, and there's so much more to even go with. And I love, especially most of all with the sandwiches, you don't need anything to eat it. No. You know, it's a complete, it's a complete food. It's a complete meal. <laughs> and I have to say that the cookies are equally as delicious as the ice cream. So thank you for the thoughtfulness. Because <laughs> oftentimes you'll get ice cream sandwiches that the cookie is meh. But you, so true. Yeah, you're, you've been really thoughtful about the entire experience. Thank you. Yeah. I also know when we brought it into our office, they come in these little um, cardboard plates, I guess, and they say on the on the side, oh, yeah, the little right, the little trays, right. Yeah. And what does it say on the side? Today's a cheat day. Cheat day. Cheat day. Yeah, yeah. Let's spoon. Yeah, let, <laughs> the cutest. Little, the packaging is fantastic. You, you also have this um, edible kind of rice paper yeah, that you can hold exactly. the ice cream sandwich and yep. eat it, so it doesn't get messy. I mean, that is so innovative. Yeah, and that's definitely the architecture speaking. I think because when we were starting the company, I thought, how can we reinvent packaging? There's so much there in terms of the environment or the design or the experience. So we started to play around with the edible packaging, the edible paper, because especially because we were launching from trucks, the last thing you want to do is leave a mess in the street. So we thought we want something that's, you know, impermanent. And then we started to realize, actually, we can print on this paper. So we can use it for messaging, weddings, people put their monograms on, anything. So it has this really whole other layer, and it is a pretty fun thing. Yeah, and there was probably about 15 minutes of conversation that happened around your packaging <laughs> within my office. Uh, and I just sat around, just, you know, I'm in marketing and advertising, just watching everyone, you know, not only enjoy the ice cream, but just talk about your brand and the love for your brand and the packaging and the rice paper that holds it and how ingenious it is. And so the whole uh, thing is just... I hit. That's so. I'm. I'm so thrilled to hear you say that. Thank you. You mentioned that you were 25 when you started the company, and I read somewhere that that was a bit difficult for you, just because a lot of the people that you employed or worked with were similar in age. And I'm fascinated by this, just because I know how hard it is. You know, a lot of people who work for me are a lot younger, and boundaries are hard. And I have a, a problem in a different way because I tend to get really close to my employees and become friends. And then all of a sudden, you know, when you have to have a serious conversation with them or you have to lay down rules, it gets tricky. Totally. So I can't imagine this layer on top of it of being the same age because here you have this visionary idea, which is yours, and then you have people who are hired to execute it with you. And you're probably all figuring it out together, right? But, you know, really the idea is yours. And so you get the credit and you get the, you know, the kudos for coming up with it and the right to be the boss. So tell us how you navigated that a bit. Well, I think early on, it was definitely one of the biggest challenges. Um, I think that managing and leading, you can read about them in books and have inspirational um, speakers talk about those things. But ultimately, a lot of it comes through just doing it. 
uh, especially management. I do think leadership is is often like an instinct some folks will have. Like you enjoy leading and that gets you going or you don't most times. But management's really, really tricky. Um, it takes time to learn how to do it, but just like learn about who you want to be as a manager. You know, are you the good cop? Are you the bad cop? What's your style? And then with, you know, people, no two are the same. What motivates them? Um, some people, it's money. Some people, it's not. Some people, you need to tell them, you need to sing their praises when they do a good job. Others, it's more about kicking them in the ass. If I, I don't know right, no, ass. absolutely. Um, you know, so there's just so much of that. Um, I did read Management for Dummies, I think, that first year, which actually was really good. Right? Gave me some good, I like, think I read it back I still, in the day, yeah, too. Yeah, so, you know, that's no, no shame in that. What is your management style? Um, I would say mostly I do like the kind of good cop and inspiration side, especially because then when you do have to crack the whip, it's like a pretty serious thing. And I love to I, transparency and being open with the goals and what we're about and making it bigger than just the tasks, I think is so key. Hearing people's ideas, I think we do have a space in Cool House where people are not afraid to share ideas. I've had many tell me like, oh, in my old job, I just didn't feel like there was really interest in hearing, you know, kind of my point of view. And I think Cool House is really refreshing to them because we want to hear, like, why wouldn't you? You're hiring people to be part of like your dream. Let's take everything we can get. But I think think like early on like yeah I didn't have all those skills and you have to kind of have patience with yourself to grow up with the business you know and and that's okay too and now as I'm getting older I mean not so, you know 35 but now I do there there are some employees where like I'm a good 10 years older and like it's definitely interesting to see it's it's a little easier I think sometimes with that to kind of as you said like the boundary um sometimes I like to even pretend to seem older like typing in a way on my phone oh, that's almost like I can't see the keypad you know right. just like like I'm okay with it like let, let them think I'm older you know um, but yeah there's there's so much around that and it's definitely like a, 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 such a, a learning experience when you're starting a business 2009 Coachella <laughs> so um, I understand that you guys rented a truck or a trailer and you kind of just made a decision to go out there and sell some ice cream tell us that story yeah, so the truck seemed to be the best way uh, because it was a low barrier to entry. Didn't cost a lot to get it out there. And uh, we did see a kind of parting of the clouds, like there's not really an ice cream truck of our generation, especially on the West Coast. We actually Googled hipster ice cream truck and like nothing came up, which when does that even happen? Google search doesn't have 16,000 pages. You right, know? but this is 2009. Yeah, so, so the, now, right, now right. you oh, probably set the bar and there's a billion yeah, people I think copying we own, you. <laughs> I think we own those Google words, hipster sure. ice cream truck now. <laughs> um, so anyway, so we thought, okay, this is it. We've got to act. And, you know, again, we felt like we had nothing to lose. You know, we were young. We didn't have, like, a mortgage to deal with or kids or anything like that. So we said, said let's go for it. And we bought a beat-up postal van off Craigslist um, for $2,700 with my personal credit card. I don't know why mine and not Freya's, but she was good at that. You know, she's like, okay, Natasha, we'll take the risk. But anyway, so we bought this truck. Uh, it was a complete POS piece of shit. Like, could not – it had no engine. It, it, we had to tow it to L.A., but it was like, okay, we've got the, the thing. Oh, it had chrome rims, so that's probably what we were paying for. So we had the chrome rim truck, didn't drive, and we started making the product. We started thinking about scale with the product. Okay, we're not they're not going to be pre-made off the truck. They're going to be scooped to order. It's easier to store. It's easier to have a cookie supply chain and an ice cream supply chain, which is still today why our cookies are, I think, so much better. Like, they're a product we concentrate on separately. And um, so we had the product, and 
basically we said we need a big event to like this is sink or swim like let's get it out there it's going to succeed it's going to fail whatever it may be and we figured Coachella is the biggest possible kind of culturally you know uh, matching event that we could be at we begged them to let us sell there I think they rejected us like five times and finally they just gave up saying no so you you didn't give up no, we didn't give up. They no. said no, and you went back. We went to we went back. We went to different people at Coachella. We just we tried different connections. Okay, anything. So let's stop for a second because I think <laughs> everyone listening needs to really internalize this. If you're starting a company, and you hear no, no is not yet. No means maybe <laughs> later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or maybe you got the wrong person my, on the line. My business partner always tells me no means maybe later. So <laughs> exactly. I've learned that from him, and I love hearing it again from you. So <laughs> it's I think that's a really teachable moment for people. Absolutely. I think if you're not willing to just fight that fight, you know, then entrepreneurship's probably not for you because you're going to get a lot of rejection. And I have whole other theories about about this and who it attracts and why. But you're going to get rejected, but you have to be willing to fight for your idea. Yeah, so Coachella finally says yes, and then we get in. Um, now you remember the truck doesn't drive. Wait, did you guys paint the truck? In, it's we didn't do any, we couldn't afford anything. We didn't. So do at the point at like that point totally there was no truck. it wasn't painted. It was just didn't say cool house. No, nope, nothing. It was just the chrome rims and a shell of a truck. Um, we did figure out though that if we join AAA Platinum, we get one free two hundred mile tow. So the morning of Coachella, we pretended the truck broke down, even though it never drove in the first place, and they towed us to the desert, and that is how we launched. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. That's the best story I've ever heard. <laughs> Wait, you you strategically planned that? Yes, we did. We oh my infected. god, you are my hero right now. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, <laughs> that is cool house. It was yeah, <laughs> it was wild. That is some cool in my house right now. That is wow. <laughs> I am like blown away by that story. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I'm I'm pretty sure AAA the guy was like maybe kind of onto us, but you know maybe felt sorry for us and then just did the tow and that's that's how we got there. How'd you get it back? Um, well, then we were cash flowing. You know, we had made some money at the event, so we got a real insurance policy and that used that to tow us back. Was there any moment, specific moment, where you had a shift in your business where you felt that things were really starting to go your way, that moment where you looked at Freya and said, oh my gosh, we've got something good here. Tell us that moment. What happened? I think Coachella was kind of that first sink or swim moment. I mean, not only did we generate kind of like a cult following at Coachella that first weekend, but it went totally viral in media. And um, I think that's the world telling you, like, we want this. And I think that was a really big indicator for us. Okay, we're going to keep going. Because frankly, if it was a failure at Coachella, why even, you know? So Coachella was a shift moment. Coachella was definitely like, this is happening. This is real. And then there's so many kind of um, other tabs. Like, I think when um, we got our first catering event, which was actually MySpace, that's how long ago this was. Wow. RIP. They reached out and said, like, what does it cost to do a, you know, ice cream social at our offices? We were like, yeah, hold on one second. What does it cost? What should we charge them? Does anyone know? I mean, we hadn't even planned for that. So that was like, okay, that's another channel of revenue. Definitely getting into Whole Foods in uh, 2012. I think that was like, this is, this really has legs. You know, right. this can be in groceries. So you're so starting to layer moments. all these moments of exactly. success. Though. Yes, exactly. And it's so important to celebrate the wins. I think as entrepreneurs, and especially, I do think this is kind of an American thing. Like, it's never enough. We're wanting more. We're, we're, we push ourselves so hard. It's so important to stop and think like, God, if if ourselves in the beginning knew what was going on today, we, we would be blown away, you right. know? But you get so used to it and you just keep thinking of the next milestone. So 
it's important like take a break it's okay to pat yourself on the back you know and Instagram I know it played a huge <laughs> role in your success yes. and I'm going to tell you this you probably already know but you know again I work in marketing and advertising we do a lot oh. of social awesome. and you're one of the brands that we look to you kind wow. of have you know set the bar people look at cool house to see what's going on over there how did Instagram um, you know help build your business it's been so huge for us. I think especially that we're so visual. Um, the platforms before that, really, Twitter and Facebook, helped us create our brand identity. And as you know, especially, it's very much your world. But they're not quite hitting that visual component. And Instagram has just created, you know, this world where people are so tapped into that. And, you know, food especially, food porn and, and just kind of, I can't imagine how many people we've, we've brought our way because of that. Um, and then I think also what belongs on a story, what's good for kind of letting people inside versus a more published looking picture and really kind of mastering what it means, you know, without just like posting a picture, you know, what's your strategy and pay to play is just part of it. Yep. So again, being smart about that and knowing how to leverage dollars and draw people to you. It's, it's all like a huge, huge part of our strategy. Right. But you should be very proud by the fact that you are really <laughs> one of the pioneers in this space. So congratulations well, and you. kudos to you and your team for that. So, so honored. Thank you. So give us one of the hardest parts of running your business day to day. Hmm, hardest part. Um, I think that, God, I mean, I have to say, I really do love what I do. I'm very, very lucky in that way. And I look forward to it when the week starts. I think um, now I'm a mom. I do factor that in, you know, to my day. You, uh, my son's young. He's 18 months. So you may get like an hour in the morning, an hour at night. Or if I'm going to have to travel for a long time, how many days am I going to be away from him? You know, I definitely do think about that. And, and that adds a layer to things. I, however, I will say, I think I'm so much more efficient with my work. Some people will say, um, you know, you want something done, give it to a working mom. Like she'll for get it sure. done. For sure. 100%. I, <laughs> so, I agree with that. Yeah. So um, I think, though, it's been like a, a great challenge, but ultimately I I think I'm better at my job for it, which is a, a huge relief because, of course, there's stress around that when you when you start to grow your family. Like, am I going to be able to do all the things I want to do? So finding the balance between work and... and finding your... the balance. is It's so key and it's a huge priority. We move so quickly at Cool House. We're launching 17 pints this year, nine of them vegan, eight of them dairy, and then five vegan sandwiches. It's a huge amount of innovation took so much work. It's a lot from the idea to like the finished package with the proper nutritionals, with the ingredients that's ready at the right time to go to stores, that's made in the way you want it. That is the most delicious thing you possibly could have done. I think the energy that's gone into that, um, especially for me this year, it was it was one of the most challenging uh, experiences. But I'm very proud of what we did. Very, very proud. Can't wait for you guys to try it. Natasha, what are your personal favorite flavors? The ones that everyone must try? Wow. I mean, the chocolate chip Tahitian vanilla bean ice cream sandwich, it's such a classic, but I think you have to, again, maybe this is the, you know, beat the system from within. You have to master the classic to even go out there and question other things. And I think it's like 15% of our overall sales and groceries, just that sandwich. Okay. So it's such a good way to like get to know us, I think, and the quality, and even the vanilla is unique. It's Tahitian and Madagascar. It's not overly sweet, in my opinion, for an ice cream sandwich. So I think that's a no-brainer. The birthday cake sandwich, which is fairly new so good um i love in the pines i i mentioned it before street cart churro dough i think it's it's a great la flavor there's so many elements to it brown butter ice cream chocolate chip swirl cinnamon sugar dough delicious 
buttered French toast I would put up there too and then maybe like the chocolate molten cake I think you listed all of them I know I can't it's just I can't stop I mean I have to agree I think we we ordered all of them at my office and nobody could decide which one they liked better so I think you're on to it Um, okay favorite architects have to ask well um, okay my favorite architect is my dad he designed our house. He's so talented. He the spaces he creates are really beautiful, and I love growing up in them. So that, uh, he's probably my number one. You know, close second Rem Kulhas, who the brand is named after, and my son's name is Remy. So also partially a nod to Rem. I love Rem Kulhas because he really thinks outside the box. You know, he actually studied film originally, and you can see that very much in his work. It's very multimedia. There's so much thought behind everything he does. So I, I do really enjoy um, his work. I love, who's a friend, Mia Lehrer, um, landscape architect and such a great voice for L.A. and projects like the L.A. River. Um, and we have a sandwich named after her, the Caramia Lair, Snickerdoodle Salted Caramel. Mm-hmm. So those are, those are definitely some of my faves. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some quick advice for some entrepreneurs that are thinking of starting something similar to what you've done. I think first, you know, think really big. And it can even be an exercise. It's okay if it doesn't become that original, you know, big, big, fantastic thought. But I think it's important to kind of talk yourself through all of the things it can be. Um, And especially for women, I like to tell them to think selfishly about it. You know, what is this going to mean for you and your personal goals? What's your five-year plan? Can this set you up to live the lifestyle you want to live and not be burnt out? Because I think as women, we we leave ourselves out of the picture for some reason. So I think it's important to do that. And then tying a lot to our earlier conversation, um, you can walk through a wall when you don't know it's there. You know, and and not having the experience and not having the skill set, and those can all actually be good things. Yeah, you and I have that in common because <laughs> I started an advertising agency 20 years ago, not knowing what the hell I was doing, and wasn't scared of anything because of that. So amazing! Congrats really, with all you built. I really relate to that when you, when you said that. <laughs> yeah. You also mentioned that people should not be a victim of analysis paralysis. Yes. Talk about of, that. This is one of Freya's cornerstones. I think. it's a little tied into the the walking through the wall, but there's always going to be a reason not to do it. You know, it's the wrong timing or um, someone already did a product in that space or whatever it may be, and you get stuck. So you cannot be overthinking. I think do your research and then, you know, you're going to go for it or you're not. So if you're going to go for it, you got to do it. Did you have a business plan when you started or did you just go? It's funny, actually. Um, we did create one for the trucks before the trucks really existed. And Freya did make a pretty you know, solid pro forma for just that business, mostly selling on ice cream on the street. We submitted it to the Berkeley Business Plan Competition. Um, it got like horrible marks. There was basically one ju- judge had been like, oh, these girls clearly know where the cool parties are at, you know. But again, I think the thing that won was like a watch that detected tuberculosis in Africa. You know, I was like, okay, Berkeley, we, I'm not, we're not saving the world the way that product you is. You kind of are. <laughs> but we are in our own way, right. And it just shows you again, sometimes the institution is going to reject what you're doing. And, and again, it's, it's a sign maybe to just actually that you should keep going. Right. Well, I think you've answered a lot of my questions. Um, I have one last question. You might have answered it already, but what is your actionable advice for those listening who are interested, you know, really interested in starting their own business and, you know, being bold and, you know, being fearless and just taking a risk? It's a great question. I think so much should be about what's the action. Um, I do think that 
putting ideas on the page is so key. Um, at Cool House, we call it our vision book, which is more or less like a deck. But um, our first angel investor, when we met with him and we were sharing all our ideas, he's like, these are all really cool, but like, where do I find them? They're, they're all in your head. And he really, you know, forced us to put them on a page. And I think when you do that, and it doesn't have to be elaborate, but when you do that, it's, there's accountability to yourself there. It's like field of dreams, you know, you build it and they will come, but you, it has that element. And then it, it has other people taking it more seriously, I think, too, like whether that's your team or a buyer at a grocery store, a potential client. So I'm, I'm such an advocate of putting it on the page. You're that much closer to doing it. Um, make a Pinterest board. Like it doesn't have to be this complicated thing, but get your idea out of your head, put it on a page, and it will be that much closer to being real. Yeah, a lot of people have ideas. You yeah. always hear somebody say, I have a great idea yeah. for a business. And for me, I think the biggest barrier for most is just follow through. Yeah. Because totally. there's so many great ideas, but just being able to take that action from that idea in your head down to paper into making it an actionable item is it's hard. Yeah, yeah, and I think that shows like how scary that is for some people because again, that is one of the biggest challenges: getting it on the page, get it out of your head. Right. Awesome. Well, I think you've answered all of my questions. I know LJ would like to ask yeah. you a couple questions, and you know, <laughs> She Dynasty is all about kind of bridging the gap between generations. Um, before I finish up, thank you so much for being thank here, you. for be, being a part of She Dynasty. And I know this interview is going to inspire so many, so many women. So awesome. thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hi, Natasha. Um, I have a question for you. Um, looking at your business, it's very creative. You come from a creative background and now you're running a business. So my question is, how do you balance your need for your creative outlet with your need to run a successful business and just like you have employees working for you, you have goals that you have to meet financially? Yeah. It's a great question. I think I created a business where creativity can flourish, you know, whether that's ice cream innovation, packaging, event ideas, uh, partners. It's such a creative place. Um, we do some partnerships. People are like, wait, you're working with, like, exploding kittens? Like, and I'm like, you'll see. It's, it's going to make so much sense when, when we tell you what that is, which is this really funny card game. So I think that's really key. However, I'm a very, like, right brain, left brain, even person. So I like when creativity has to be reined in with the accountability to numbers and metrics and things like that. So, and to me, the creativity is almost more real when it's reined in in that way because it has to function. It has to be something that is legit. So um, I think you can find a way of having both. I truly do. That's so cool. That balance of both things yeah. and making it work together. Yeah. And then I have one more question for you. How do you overcome self-doubt? I think a lot of us, as we're moving forward with our careers and our paths, we just have an innate sense of self-doubt. How do you overcome with that? Yeah, I think um, you can do things to definitely help your confidence. I think one thing that's so important, and again, especially to women out there, is having the conversation, having the dialogue. I think we're sometimes afraid of saying something rude when it comes to work or salary or job experience that we're kind of, for whatever reason, the instinct is to like. Like, kind of keep it to ourselves and I think when you start to talk to other people other men and women you realize like it's not just you it's not alone and it kind of it builds confidence like we're all in this together my experience is shared and it will help you ultimately be less self-doubting so, so that's really key and I think just remembering to have fun too you know like it, work is is so important but it is just work like that's why I tell my team it's like it's ice cream and cookies you know this is an open heart surgery and it's important to keep it in perspective in that way and I think that also helps you like like let go it's like it's gonna be okay like you know shit's gonna happen but we will move there will be another day 
That's true. <laughs> there will be another day with ice cream and cookies. Yes, that's true. Also. Thanks again, Natasha, for your time. And thanks for bringing deliciousness to the world. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.